The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Eric Fear, President and CEO of Silvercrest Metals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SIL. Silvercrest is a Canadian precious metals exploration company headquartered in Vancouver, BC, that's focused on new discoveries, value-added acquisitions, and targeting production in Mexico's historic precious metals district, including three properties in prolific Sonora State. The company was formed following the acquisition of Silvercrest Mines by First Majestic Silver Corporation. Eric, welcome to the program. If you don't mind, give our audience a brief history of the company. Well, Silvercrest Metals is a result of a transaction that took place last year, 2015, with the merger of Silvercrest Mines and First Majestic Silver. So that was a successful merger that closed on October 1st of 2015. Out of that came a Spinco, which is now Silvercrest Metals, along with $5 million in cash and six properties. Now our focus is to move forward with the six properties, of which two are key to the company. One's a flagship. Names are Las Chispas, which will be the flagship for this year, 2016, and Wasabas, which we're currently drilling. It's a drill-to-kill program. That's what we like. That's part of our philosophy. That was part of our success with Silvercrest Mines. And very little money to test a model. If it doesn't work, then walk and don't keep going on a project that is just would be considered a distraction to management, to our technical people and our staff in Mexico. So drill it, kill it, or keep it and have a discovery or not. Let's talk about Sonora State, Mexico. Why has it been so good for you and your management team in the past and now with Silvercrest Metals in the future? One of the keys to success in this industry, and I've worked in over 30 countries around the world. I've looked at thousands of projects and had quite a bit of success in making discoveries and moving things into production. I like Sonora. I like Mexico because, number one, it's in the same time zone, basically, as I am in Vancouver, so it's easy to manage. I can get on an airplane and down on a project the same day. So that's great for managing something. And part of the foundation of Silvercrest Mines and now Silvercrest Metals is cost control and really watching every dollar and treating it like a business. Every dollar means if it's close, the airplane tickets are less. If I can get down there and make decisions on a daily basis, if need be, then that saves the company a lot of money. With Silvercrest Mines, we were able to construct what I'd consider a world-class mine called Santa Elena in 
Sonora. The success around that was because of the location where it was at in Sonora State. I get a lot of questions about safety. If you're savvy enough, if you have some common sense, you can avoid a lot of problems with safety. There are some hot spots in Mexico. There'll continue to be some hot spots in Mexico. You just stay out of those areas and you use the local people. They inform you what's going on. You never travel after dark. You never go out alone. Just common sense stuff. And I've done these things all over the world again and never had any problems. So knock on wood. You mentioned money and you have about $7.2 million in the bank, which places you in the top percentile of junior resource companies that are well-funded to weather a possible bear market. This will also allow you to actually spend money on exploration. How much money do you believe you'll have to spend on exploration and developing what you have? In 2015, we'll look at, and this is an all-in cost, so this would be Vancouver and Mexico and exploration, one and a half to two million dollars of that 7.2 million in the bank to hopefully have a discovery. So that's what I'm looking for, is a discovery out of that money. And of that amount, about half of it would go into Las Chispas, our flagship. There are all always G&A costs and land holding costs, things like that. And again, part of our foundation is, is cost controls, and we don't want to overextend the company on a lot of that land holding costs. So our costs are very reasonable and quite low compared to a lot of people that are in the industry right now that are definitely struggling because they got these huge commitments where well, we don't have those. That's part of the strategy here. With the money in the bank right now, well, we can weather another two to three years with this type of strategy. Eric, as long as I've been familiar with Silvercrest Mines and Silvercrest Metals, I've never really considered you a project generator. But then again, you had great success selling off Santa Elena to First Majestic. Could something like that happen again in the future with Silvercrest Metals and Las Chispas? Well, good that you ask, Ellis, because part of the business strategy around Las Chispas, our flagship, is that it's in the backyard of Santa Elena. This was a property that Silvercrest Mines, under my direction over the last two years, was able to compile and put together. Las Chispas, just a little bit of history on that, and then we'll roll into the business plan, but Las Chispas was discovered in the 1600s under a general and his army, and at that point, some Spanish miners came in did a little bit of mining, but they got pushed out by the Apache Indians, which caused raids and havoc for 200 years. So there was very little work done on the property until about 1880. From 1880 to 1930, there was a considerable amount of mining on the property, several mines of which now we control. And the production was approximately 120 million ounces of silver and about 200,000 ounces of gold above the water table. We're looking at things below the water table now, and the description of this district, and that's what I'll call it as a district, since it's multiple mines, there's somewhere between 15 and 20 epithermal veins, of which three have been mined on, so a lot of opportunity for discovery there. What people were looking at from a business model standpoint in the early 90s when Mexico really opened up and it changed its foreign investment laws, there was a huge rush down to Mexico of Canadian and U.S. juniors looking for opportunities. And Many of those companies still survive. Endeavor was on that list. Uh, First Majestic came in a little bit later. These would be considered medium to major producers now in Mexico. The reason why Las Chispas wasn't picked up at that time, it was under a legal dispute 
by, call it a Hatfields and McCoy, two families. And fortunately for us, that dispute continued for uh, several years. And then we were able to come in. We started Santa Elena since it was in the backyard. It's only 25 kilometers from Santa Elena, about 45-minute drive between the two properties. We were able to get our foothold and then negotiate and settle that dispute and the legal problems around that and successfully did the acquisition. We actually closed the acquisition during the merger of the two companies, Silvercrest Mines and First Majestic. So First Majestic knows that we have it. They actually, uh, during our negotiations, said that amongst this and, and other things, if we didn't get it, would we walk away from this deal? And I said, yes, we will walk away from this deal. I want an opportunity in Silvercrest Metals to basically explore and make a discovery at Los Chispas. And then we'll talk to you. Since you now have Santa Elena, this would only make business sense to, with a discovery to potentially feed the milling facility at Santa Elena. Also, we'll look at the path of doing it on our own and not necessarily needing that. We're also strategically located near uh, Yamana's Mercedes mine in Sonora. So there's an opportunity potentially there too in the future. So this was well thought out from a business plan and a strategic standpoint to capture some value into Silvercrest Metals pretty early on, I'd say, this year. So we're just getting set up to reopen and rehabilitate the mine. There's over five kilometers of underground workings at Los Chispas, of which we have access to half right now. We're going to get access to the other half this year. We can walk underground today, Ellis, and look at things that are faced up that are running 300 to 400 grams per ton gold, 10 to 15 ounces of silver, and about a half ounce gold. Pretty good grade up front, and we're looking at the opportunity to try to define more of that underground. It could be a smaller, very high-grade mine. The grades from production were 1.7 kilos of silver and about a half an ounce gold that came out of the mine from production records between 1880 and 1930. Will you take Las Chispas into production before you ever consider any kind of takeover prospect? You always got to look at both those plans. You definitely want to chart your own course here and not really depend on a takeover. I've been in that position many times and it usually plays out that you go into production, you take all of the risk and then you get taken over. But we'll wait and see on this story. Now you've said you've been in this position many times. Let's talk about your management team and your successes. Like I said, I've worked in over 30 countries for Newmont Mining out of the U.S. I was on the Carlin Trend and I went to work for them in Batahijau in Indonesia and helped build that. I worked for Eldorado Gold. These are very familiar names in the space here. Uh, Eldorado Gold, South America and Turkey. I worked for Pegasus Gold, which is an old name. They went out of business in 1994. I cut my teeth with them for several years and traveled around the world, made several discoveries and turned them into mines. Australia, I got sent to Siberia for two years. Lots of experience and discoveries, construction, production and financing. Scott Drever, the ex-CEO of 
of Silvercrest Mines and now a director of Silvercrest Metals. Also a very distinguished career of about, I always say that he has half the experience of the company at about 45 to 50 years. And he's worked all over Canada and all over the world. He always has said that if I hadn't been there, he had been there. So we've pretty much covered the world between us two. Barney Magnuson, the chief financial officer for Silvercrest Mines, now the chief financial officer for Silvercrest Metals. Again, a lot of experience in financing these projects and moving them forward into production. That whole team, that management team is well supported. It's the same directors under the Silvercrest Mines as now the new company, Silvercrest Metals. Again, you know, there's several hundred years of experience total there between us and, and lots of success. I think the biggest success we've had over the last 15 years, that whole group has been establishing what we consider to be a phased business model. This is a true business model in a sense that you start out slow, you de-risk every step of the way before you really put your cards into the game and show your hand. You're basically de-risking against the political side, the social side, the technical side. You are not putting in the $100 million or $200 million type market capital items that a lot of companies try to force through before you find out, well, I can't do it because the surface rights are messed up or I can't do this now because there's a metallurgical problem. You do this phased business model and you'll hear me talk to the industry time and time again how wise this is, definitely in this market. I can build a project for 20 to $30 million for the phase one and then look at the 50 to $100 million in four or five years. After I've de-risked this whole thing, that's what we did at Santa Elena for Silvercrest Mines, and that's what we're going to do moving forward for any other project that we're looking at. Your market capitalization is about $6.1 million, which means you are currently trading below cash value. We've touched on this market, the bear in the room, so to speak. What are your thoughts on the silver market for 2016? Well, I'm a cycle guy, so this is my fourth cycle. So I know this is going to come to an end and a rise of the tide is coming. This is the key behind the Silvercrest Mines and First Majestic merger of last year. We actually didn't sell out. We just became investors in First Majestic. So the shareholders of Silvercrest Mines became investors at the tune of 23% ownership in First Majestic which we felt was a very wise decision because the management, the shareholders that voted for it, feel that we're near the bottom of the market here. We're just wallowing around in it. There will be a rise in tide, and those shareholders will get the benefit of being shareholders in First Majestic as that comes. We spent quite a bit of time looking at, in the cycle that we're at right now, where we are and when that's going to come about. I don't have a crystal ball like anybody else, but I think we're going to be muddling around here for another 12 to 18 months before we really see the legs get under us and into the next cycle. So I like to look at 
these cycles at about seven years that you really start the pain and you end the pain over a seven-year period. And that's still, again, I would target the end of 2017 coming into 2018 when if these cycles are true to form and they have been in my career, which is plus 30 years now, that's what we'd look for. So what you want to do right now is conserve your cash. If you got some opportunities in front of you, still continue to work on those with the least amount of money as you need and just survive until that tide comes. There's a lot of opportunities we're looking at right now from an acquisition standpoint. Our target is to acquire things that are less than 10 cents per silver equivalent ounce in the ground. So we're looking at resources in the market right now and using that when the tide does rise, we're going to get a lot of bang for our buck when that occurs. So there's other companies that are doing the same thing and playing in the space as being consolidators and being acquirers of inventory. I don't like really the model between acquiring inventory without some business sense behind it. So I'm a little bit more conservative in trying to run out there and just buy 100 million ounces of silver that's in the ground somewhere. I want to have a true business model around it. Believe in the cycles or not, that's where I think we are right now. And we just got to keep the hatches battened down as we weather this storm. That's, of course, good logic for the potential investor as well. To invest possibly in a company such as yours at this time when not everyone is looking at the second and hold on until the market turns around. That's how some have been able to reap decent profits in the past. Well, I think we're here to continue the battle, Ellis, as we get through this bear market. We may still see a little bit of downward pressure here, but all things considered, and there's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me on the commodities side and trying to pick a spot here. And everybody that I've talked to and that I've listened to are saying, yeah, we're here, we're near the bottom, just from a, a macroeconomic standpoint, and now's a great time to buy. And there's very few people that are interested in this space globally. You look at it from a standpoint, especially in the U.S., that really need to wake up and this is where the big bucks are made. Look at people are doing and the guys that have the money where they're putting it and they're starting to put it back into the sector. How tightly held is your company? Let's talk about that. We probably know, you got to remember that we're a spin out. So we brought about 23 million shares into the company from Silvercrest Mines. There's been a lot of trading around that. We probably know where about 50% of the shares are. And then there's another 50% that's in the general public hands right now. As far as management is concerned, we have about 15% ownership in the company, which you definitely want to have skin in the game. And that also, again, tells the market that you're serious and you're willing to watch every dollar that's going out and you're going to spend it wisely because it's your shares too. Eric, it's been a great pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks so much for joining me on the program. Okay, thank you very much, Ellis, for having me. I've been speaking with Eric Fear, President and CEO of Silvercrest Metals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SIL. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com, and download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Join me for a conversation with Dr. Brant Thompson, CEO and President of Oncolytics Biotech Incorporated, trading as ONCY on the OTCQX and ONC on the TSX. 
Oncolytics Biotech is a biotechnology company focused on the development of oncolytic viruses as potential therapeutics for use in a broad range of cancers. The company is conducting clinical studies using Reolice and its proprietary formulation of the human reovirus and some of the most prevalent forms of the disease, including lung, colorectal, and pancreatic cancers. Brad, welcome back to the program. Oh, thank you all. I've been meaning to talk to you, especially at this time. Cancer sort of taken center stage in our discussion as far as the culture and society right now with the loss recently of two cultural icons such as David Bowie and Alan Rickman. And I recently lost an acquaintance to cancer. His wife has cancer. Uh, it's just so prevalent. Everybody, everybody has a story, and you have a story, sir. Why? Why do we have this disease? Cancer really is a disease of aging when you really kind of look underneath of it. I mean, your immune system when you're a child and to an early adulthood is really good, and it gets rid of things that don't belong. So if you get an infection, it takes care of that. And if you get something that doesn't belong like a cancer, the body will recognize that and get rid of it. Everybody who's listening to this has had a cancer in their life, but whether you get a disease cancer is a very different story. And so as you get older, your immune system starts to die off and there's no other way of putting it. And so when you're, you know, my age and your age, you know, we probably have half or less of the immune system that we had. And once it drops below a certain threshold, and nobody really knows what that threshold is, people start getting cancer as a disease. And so it's really mostly, I mean, you get it when you're younger for other reasons, but mostly a disease of aging. And as our population ages, you would just expect to see what is exactly happening, which is more and more people are getting cancer, or their relatives are getting cancer, their friends are getting cancer, their acquaintances are getting cancer. I know the person they meet in the store down the corner of the street is getting cancer. It's really, it's an epidemic, but it's the result largely of aging. Now, in younger populations, we're actually starting to see an increase of certain cancers as well. And people are starting to think that's our lifestyle, you know, stress-related and that. I mean, a couple of really bad sleeps in a row actually seriously suppress your immune system. It doesn't take much to take the edge off your immune system. You know, it's there and it's here. I mean, we're making great progress in a number of areas. I mean, some of the childhood leukemias, which a generation ago were absolute killers are almost kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, leukemia and we took care of it. Things like cervical cancer. I mean, we can prevent cervical cancer from occurring in most cases just by vaccinating children. I mean, there's been some great advances, but we're fighting against the increased prevalence and incidents happening out there. What is your company doing to fight cancer? I know you've had a lot of success. You've treated over 1,100 people across North America. Let's talk about Oncolytics Biotech. How does this company stand out from everyone else who has a cancer story right now? Our agent really does two things. The first thing it does is focuses on reducing the tumor burden in the patient, and that's based on the genetics of the tumors. I guess fortunately for us and unfortunately for people getting cancer, a lot of the causes of cancer, which are genetic, in the end are really exploited by our agent, which is a live agent. It's a virus called the Reovirus, and its trademark name is Reolysin. And Reolysin, as its first activity, it will infect the tumor, and if the genetics are right, will kill that tumor. And so it's just a direct tumor-reducing burden thing. And the interesting part on that is, and that's why this is kind of unique, is, is that as patients fail therapy, like so if your first line, which is the first time you're treated, or second line, you're treated for the second time, the more times you fail therapy, that actually enriches for those mutations 
mutations, those genetic changes. And so paradoxically, reolysin seems to reduce tumor better in patients that are later on in the process, which is backwards to pretty much everything. Normally, the more times the tumor is being treated, the less likely it is you'll get a response. All indications so far is that reolysin does the opposite. So you're more likely to have a, a patient who's failed everything and get a response than you are on a first-time treatment, which is very unique and very helpful for those patients. The second thing that reolysin does is it interacts with the immune system. I mean, that's the new wave in oncology today is to harness the immune system to do what it normally does most of the time, which is get rid of cancer. And so you take that tenth of a percent of patients or people in those cases because they're not patients yet, that you know normally their immune system takes care of it, but that tenth of a percent of the time it doesn't, and that's why you get cancer. The reolysin actually works in concert with the immune system and with all these new drugs that's coming out that are called checkpoint inhibitors as a subclass, that it works with those agents and it works with the immune system to actually enhance the immune system's ability to deal with patients. Now, we actually have started two clinical studies now with two different agents. One is looking at pediatric glioma patients, kids, kids with brain cancer. We're actually directly enhancing the immune system with an agent called GMCSF, which has been used for many years, GMCSF and Realizing together. And we've been treating patients since the fall at the Mayo Clinic with that. And we've just started enrolling patients this week with another combination. But this case is Realizing with a checkpoint inhibitor, and that's in San Antonio and Texas, and that's in pancreatic cancer patients. And so we're doing two different things with the immune system. That's really kind of the second thing that Realizing does, but that makes it very unique. The fact that patients that are further along seem to do better with Rio than earlier patients. Also, this immune harnessing thing is quite unique, and it's very exciting. You can tell I'm very excited about it. I mean, start a clinical study in an area where you think you're going to make a difference is always the most exciting thing you can do in a company like ours. Well, this is potentially really good news for more advanced forms of cancer in addition to early stage, because I'm sure there's many people in our audience and throughout the world that whatever treatment they're undergoing right now just isn't completely doing the job if they're getting any treatment at all. You're in a sense providing new hope. It's not a guarantee, of course, but these studies are going on right now and actual individuals who are in need of therapy are getting it. And uh, that's quite exciting. When do you get quantitative results from these studies? Uh, we should be reporting on both of those studies in this calendar year, early data. I mean, one of the exciting things about doing immune therapy is that you can use all sorts of measures very early on to determine if you're seeing something. So I would expect that people will be hearing about both studies in this calendar year. What do you say to those individuals that do not want to involve themselves with chemotherapy or radiation. They're adamant about it. They'd just rather sit it out, use some herbal therapy of some sort, or just don't want to deal with anything like that. How does Realizen therapy perhaps add a new venue for those individuals? Well, Realizen is very benign from a safety perspective, and we have a database with over 1,100 patients now that have been treated with Realizen. We commonly use it when we're looking for tumor regressions in combinations with either radiation or chemotherapy. They both enhance each other quite a lot. So patients tend to do better from a side effect perspective when you take a chemotherapy and add realizin to it than with the chemotherapy alone. But they still have some of the side effects of the chemotherapy. So that's important to note. But they do make themselves work better. I mean, some of the chemos actually have not bad side effects. I mean, none of them are not bad side effects, and some are horrible. And some of the new biologics have very good side effects that are being introduced, but also some of them have some fairly significant side effects. But you always have to stack that up against risk profile of not treating. If you're treating acne, you're going to want a much safer product than if you're treating cancer. So that's really a big issue. I think there's a role for radiation and a role for surgery and a role for chemotherapy for many, many years to come. And I think all the new agents, including ours that are being developed, really 
are going to help actually extend the lifespan of those things because we, as a group, all of us, tend to make those agents work better than they do by themselves. And as a result, you can change dosing and you can make things better from a side effect profile. There may be individuals out there in our audience who either want to be treated or who have friends or family that want to be treated. What's the best way for them to sign up, more or less, for a study somewhere in North America? Well, there's a wonderful resource tool available for studies that are ongoing in the United States. If you go to clinical trials, shorten it to clinical the actual name is clinicaltrials.gov, so www.clinicaltrials.gov, then you'll get a listing of every clinical study that's going on in the United States with every single agent that's under development. And you can just punch in what cancer you have, or if you want to punch in Realison to be specific for it, to get real, then you, you actually get the sites, you get the contact numbers, you get how to get on the study, which patient profiles are working. It's a wonderful resource tool for patients and physicians alike. Let's talk about the company as an investment opportunity, potential investment opportunity. Oncolytics Biotech. We've seen some interest in biotech lately. There's certainly a, a wide range of potential investment opportunities. Why should someone, say new to your company, consider Oncolytics Biotech as a potential investment opportunity along with anything else that they may run into? Well, I think Oncolytics is uniquely positioned right at this moment in time for people to look at seriously as an investment opportunity. And there's really two parts of that. We're about to enter in the final stage of clinical development. So phase threes are registered registration studies in at least one and possibly two different cancers in this calendar year. You know, that's where the big valuation event occurs in biotech companies. So that's a unique spot. And secondly, you know, we'll be generating clinical data this year, as you alluded to, about, you know, when we're going to hear about some studies for what is the, the most exciting part of, of Oncology Day, which is immune therapy in combination with our product, Real License. And so those two events alone, I think, are worth taking a serious look at Oncolytics at this time. So we're essentially looking at a potential cure for not just one, but many cancers. We really reluctant to use the C word in cancer, the cure okay. word, but because of the genetic basis, I mean, what we found is that about two-thirds of any solid tumor class so two-thirds of doesn't matter what kind of cancer, fill-in-the-blank cancer, seem to respond to real license therapy, at least for the tumor reduction part. That's pretty unusual that an agent is that broadly active. I think if we manage to finish this development off and get it registered, we will be able to say we've got a therapeutic that is useful in most or all cancers for an effective therapy. And that, of course, is what we have to prove. But at least the prospect is there. And that's unusual. Most therapeutics today are designed to be very narrow in activity, which is, I mean, part of why they're safer. But to have an agent that's safe that still retains the ability to treat most or all cancers is very unique. Well, Brad, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I look forward to another conversation in the very near future. Thank you so much for joining us today in the program. Oh, well, thank you very much. I've been speaking with Dr. Brad Thompson, CEO and President of Oncolytics Biotech Incorporated, trading as ONCY on the OTCQX. Listen to the segment again on our website or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. Remember, all of the companies you're hearing about today have paid us for the opportunity to be reviewed by you on this program. Do your own research before investing in anything mentioned here. Start by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with John Sagman, president of Wellgreen Platinum, trading on the TSX under the symbol WG, and in the U.S. on the OTCQX is WGPLN. Wellgreen Platinum is a Canadian mining exploration and development company focused on the active advancement of a 100% owned Wellgreen Platinum Group metal, PGM, and nickel project located in the Yukon Territory, Canada. John, welcome 
welcome to the program. Give our audience some background on the company, if you don't mind. The company has a rich history in the Yukon. The Yukon's been a gold producer for centuries. Our project actually was initially discovered back in the early 50s, and then it was actively mined by Hut Bay back in the early 70s. So we have a long history of gold production in the Yukon and then PGM and nickel production at the site. What about you, John? Tell us about your history in the business and that of others on the team. I bring well over 30 years of experience with respect to open pit and underground mining, engineering, feasibility studies, etc. And moving projects forward in kind of a streamlined fashion. Plaster Dome was a great company to start up mines. And then I had a lot of work with Valley now and Glencore Strata in the northern climates, as well as with Capstone and now with Wellgreen. And Jeffrey Mason, he's our chief financial officer. He has a vast amount of experience both in Canada and internationally. And uh, he's also built mines and operated them with uh, HDI and a number of other companies. And then we also have Rob Brueggemann that has uh, about uh, 20 years experience in the uh, corporate development field. So our existing team brings a, a lot of mine building experience to the operation and we want to maintain a reasonable amount of exploration but we want to move the project forward in more of a streamlined fashion. You just raised $11.4 million in financing with RCF and Alverstoke in November of 2015. What does that mean for the company and how were you able to raise so much money during this tough time for the sector? RCF is a great company for us to work with. They recognize that you know we have a large PGM resource and nickel copper resource. We have uh, 5.5 million ounces of PGMs in our M&I and 13.8 million ounces in our um, inferred as well as 2.9 billion pounds of nickel and copper in the M&I and 7 billion pounds of nickel and copper in the inferred. So it's a large resource with uh, upside exploration potential. And uh, we're in a good jurisdiction. We're uh, right beside the highway. And the Yukon government's been very supportive of the project and the First Nations. So RCF recognizes that it's a good, solid, long-term asset with exposure over several cycles of the commodity price cycles. And so they felt that it was a good point for them to get exposure to a very good nickel PGM asset. With that in mind, it's been a great fit for us because RCF also brings to the table excellent technical expertise that uh, helps us out over the long term. And as I was um, indicating previously, they're not a uh, short-term investment type of uh, partner. They're in for the long term. Let's talk about the long term. What was 2015 like and where are you headed this year? 2015, we had a good program there with our exploration drilling. We did a little bit of geophysics, but you know, as I indicated, we want to start to de-risk the project, advance the project, keep it moving forward. So we did quite a bit of MET drilling this year to get metallurgical samples for our test program. With respect to the RCF funding, we're fully funded to the mid-year, which point we should have a significant amount of that MET testing done. So that's our near-term targets is to keep that metallurgical test program going and then continue to advance the project and de-risk it as we go forward. We'd like to do a little bit more drilling to bring our M&I up to a valley that we can start to look at the pre-feasibility study and then continue to improve the concentrate quality. Definitely be one of our objectives to improve the marketability of it and then maintain our environmental baselines. What do you believe are the prospects for platinum and palladium in North America and in the automotive industry as clean tech becomes more and more of a pathway for technology development over the coming years? There was 
record vehicle sales in 2015, and we see that the fundamentals regarding supply of PGM, platinum, and palladium is going to continue to struggle out of South Africa. With respect to the hybrid vehicles, they actually use, uh, they increase their consumption of platinum versus gas and diesel vehicles. So therefore, we see there's good fundamentals for us, and we think that the PGM supply deficit situation is going to remain in place over the long term. What would you say to potential investors looking at Well Green Platinum right now, John? We have a very strong management team in place. Our board is about to become even stronger than what it is, especially with the RCF involvement. It's a project with good fundamentals. It gives a excellent exposure to a nickel PGM asset in a good jurisdiction. We have upside exploration potential. So, and we're going to uh, continue to advance the project, continue to de-risk it, and in a cost-effective manner. So uh, we're really looking forward to uh, moving this project forward. I've been chatting with John Sagman, president of Well Green Platinum, trading on the TSX under the symbol WG, and in the U.S. on the OTCQX is WGPLF. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com, or download the entire Ellismart Report on iTunes and subscribe on TuneIn Radio. Find the logos of all our sponsors on the homepage of our website. Click on them and learn more about our client companies. EllisMartinReport.com. David Morgan is an expert on silver, gold, and precious metals investments. He's a world-renowned lecturer appearing on CNBC and the Fox Business Channel. He's an author having penned Get the Skinny on Silver Investing. And Mr. Morgan is a regular contributor and friend of the Ellis Martin Report. This is an interesting week. It started off at least with a, a continuation of a, of a tank in the stock market. Are you nervous about anything right now? I'm nervous about the year 2016, Ellis. I really think this is... <laughs> probably a watershed year. I know I've said that, I think, a year or two ago, but it's it's coming to the fore. I mean, the stock market usually has a pretty good lift in January. They're not worldwide. And even the, um, let's say, proponents of uh, the market always goes up, long-term investing stock market at all are starting to get nervous here. There's a couple of points chart-wise, if they're broken to the downside on large volume, would be very good uh, indicators that it has further to go to the downside. And I think that's the situation. Comparable to 2008 or too soon to tell? Well, too soon to tell, but bringing up 2008, you know, it's been my strong belief and contention and others as well that we never really recovered from 2008. And everything that's been done from that point until now has been sort of do the best that we can, throw out a bunch of funny money, reliquify the banks, promote the stock market. Stock market's gone up. Let's look at a fact. But overall, the real physical economy has deteriorated. There's been some ups and downs, but overall, the recovery has not taken place. What do you think is going to happen in Texas long term due to the oil route that we're seeing or we have been seeing for a while? Well, if you look at a real free market, what you're going to see is you see all the malinvestment go away. And you're going to see the people that have capital come in and either buy the assets if they're worth buying, or they just don't ever come back onto the marketplace. And you'll get a much firmer, tighter, more efficient market. That's what should happen or could happen. Under the uh, framework that we now have in uh, the United States and basically on a global basis, where there's these bailouts, bail-ins, deferments, uh, extensions, uh, whatever. It'll get a little bit messier than that, but the overall underlying trend will be what I outlined. You'll see basically the malinvestment go away, more efficiencies come in the market, then depending on what the market does. I'm a pretty firm believer that you know there's lots out in our future. In fact, it's probably here today as far as uh, energy sources are concerned. 
but that doesn't mean that they're readily available or nor will they be necessarily which means we've got to look at the primary source which of course is oil because of that fact then we're going to have to see what happens as things get straightened out the inefficiencies are taken off the market the market becomes more efficient and what the demand level does in the future and it could increase which means you might see you know some price pressure to the upside over time i'm not an oil expert i don't analyze it like i do the commodity sector or i should say the metal sector I don't think you're going to see these prices remain at this level at infinitum. The oversupply of maybe a million, million and a half barrels a day is uh, enough to drive the prices down. All markets move at the margin. Uh, Art Berman did an interview with Chris Martinson recently that I listened to twice just so I could basically hone in and not miss anything. It is what it is. I mean, he's very forthright on what the oil situation is, and he's, in my view, one of the best and one of the most truthful. It makes you stop and pause and realize that this oversupply, which exists, isn't that big of an oversupply. So it could change before anyone knows it, so to speak. I'm a little more nimble and a little more bullish on the oil sector than most people are at this point in time. Well, it would take a simple incident to change what's going on in the Middle East, right? And change the price of oil. It wouldn't take a lot. Absolutely true. And a lot of my brethren, I say brethren in a very general, broad sense that are in the newsletter industry, have already alluded to that. I've already seen some rather exaggerated claims like, you know, $500 oils across the, you know, right around the corner. You know, that's kind of the gist of it. The point is that, yeah, it is precarious. It's in a very unstable region of the uh, planet. Of course, oil is pumped all over the place, but primarily gets so much from the Middle East. It's a tinderbox and it's not getting better. So certainly something could disrupt the supply rather easily. And if that were to occur, you'd see the market probably overreact to the upside. So certainly you have to keep that in mind. Would you be willing to speculate in oil stocks or oil-related stocks at this point or no? Well, as you know, we're you know rebranding the Morgan Report, and there's a couple of reasons for it. One, that the Silver Investor's been on the web for I don't know what. Actually, it's been on the web for almost nearly 20 years. We're moving the paid report over to themorganreport.com because there is, is a misperception of people that don't subscribe as a member that it's basically a silver-only site, and it's not, and it hasn't ever really been that. But the Morgan Report has always been been focused on money, metals, and mining, and it's been focused on the broad picture, looking at the sector from two viewpoints, which very few newsletter writers do. I look at it from a commodity aspect and an equity aspect, and we look at both, and we show opportunities in both. And beyond that, we do things that basically no other news service, especially at our price level, does, which is on these field trips, we take a camera with us, so you get to look at the projects that we visit. Some are recommended, some are not, but you get to look at it from you know our perspective. In other words, it's almost a as if you were in the truck with us going out to these, these projects. The other thing, we do it on the other side, which means we do it at the uh, conferences, the webinars, the investment seminars, and that type of thing, which our members that pay us get to view from uh, you know their own armchair looking at their computers. We also guarantee that if you're at the premium level, that any email that you send us will be answered. So one thing I didn't like as a newsletter subscriber when I was much younger was, you know, you got a great question, but you might send it in, but unless the editor just decides to choose it, to put in his letter and report back, you're not going to get a response. That's not true for our lowest level service, but for our premium service it is. The other part is looking over my shoulder. When I look at a trade, let's say something in the commodity side, like the bond market as an example, I actually, it's me doing it with my voice, showing you the chart or charts or what I'm thinking and uh, maybe some articles or 
whatever to back up the position and you get it you know firsthand so to speak I've, I've gotten feedback from that and most of the members really like that feature of the Morgan Report and lastly because we're moving it over and it's so cumbersome I beg everyone to be a little bit considerate that you know there will be some glitches or probably be some errors there'll probably be some times maybe you can't log in or something like that we're only human we absolutely are doing our best and if there are any disruptions bear that in mind that we may have some glitches nonetheless we'll be on the Morgan Report you'll be able to log in it'll be much cleaner than it is now as far as there won't be anything running on the server other than the reports and all the things I just described and lastly one thing that I really don't make a big deal about but it really is because the email system is just breaking down further and further and further we saw that coming years ago and we have for our membership a alert service for uh, anything that we put out that goes directly onto their desktop and bypasses email altogether. Now, this is voluntary. It's available for no additional cost or anything, and you have to install it. And it's pretty easy for most people like that are 40 years old or younger. Anyone above that age, I'm just doing a generality here, Ellis could have it installed by our staff. They'll come in remotely into your computer and help you set it up. And then if we put out an update or an alert on one of the companies or something in the marketplace, like, you know, the oil thing as an example. So going full circle, yeah, we have, have an oil situation that we wrote up some time ago that's pretty heavy cash flow. It's a different business model. I'm not going to spill the beans over the radio show, but we have that as a recommendation. Actually, it's the first. There is another one that's one of our top tiers that's a gold and oil situation that just keeps on making money year over year. I mean, it almost keeps going up no matter what the market conditions. It's a bit of an exaggeration, but if you look at from the time we recommended it to now, it's an up and down and up and down and up and down line, but it's mostly to the up. In other words, if you drew the average, it keeps going up. So that's one that we like and have for a long time. In fact, it's my personal biggest holding. So the last thing to say is price is going to go up. We're going to drop the basic service. The basic service is like two cups of coffee at six bucks. If you go into uh, one of these coffee outfits, you know, a couple cups of coffee, that's what it costs on a monthly basis to subscribe to the basic service. And that is the letter that you get every month. And sometimes there's updates and that type of thing. And that's 129 a year. If you buy that before we change the website officially on the 1st of February, you can lock that in as long as you're a member. So in other words, you could keep that low price forever. That whole service will go away to anybody new after the 1st of February. The premium membership that I took so long to describe because there are so many things. I mean, there's the bonus reports alone or I don't know, I think we got 10 or 15 of them. Not to mention all the private equity reports. We probably have about 15 of those. And anyway, back on point, the premium service will be at 500. That will be the new price. The current price is 269. So it's about half of that. So if you came in and, and became a member before we uh, changed the new website, you could lock in for 269 as long as you renewed every year. It's really geared to kind of wake people up, shake people up. And of course, we know it's the bottom of the market. But if you, you know, I could buy gold coin for half price right now and just knowing the month out is going to be double, I would do it. Gold coin is probably a bad analogy. Let's say the great newsletter service, I would definitely rather pay the lower price than the higher price. I always have believed in quality over quantity. And it's really tough in this business because you can have a low price letter and appeal to a lot of people or a high price letter and appeal to few. And I've always trying to kind of shoot for the middle, trying to make it expensive enough where someone that shouldn't be investing isn't going to buy it. I mean, if you have 2000 bucks to put in the market, you shouldn't be using my report. I mean, that's very simple. If you are a pretty active investor, then certainly my report's well worth the money. And then if you're a very high end investor, our reports are still right at 
the top of any bank letter. Our analysis is very similar in some ways, except it's more ethical from the price deck that we use in our analysis of these mining companies. But And there's other companies. Obviously, we do more outside of mining, but we're primarily focused, again, on money, metals, and mining. But that will continue to evolve as the markets evolve. And last thing is how to use the Morgan Report. That is something that's essential because if you get into any equity or any commodity or whatever your investment is, you've got to watch it and you've got to take responsibility for it and you have to stop your losses. And that's all outlined on how to use the Morgan Report. So the reason I can't say, well, buy here and buy there, that's individual advice, but I can give an outline. If you buy X and there's a top tier and it drops 15%, you probably should get out of it regardless of you know how much I like it or whatever. And then of course, we've bought them at much different levels as someone new would come in. Although at this point in time, some of these equities are actually lower than we had recommended them initially, which is hard to believe since we've been in the business for so long. But nonetheless, that's the case. Now, there's a free report available about a new technology, one that you broke right here on the Ellis Martin Report last year, a mobile mill technology. You've had some success with it. You can get this free report on the Morgan Report. Give us a little sneak preview. No matter what you do, you get criticized. I mean, some people haven't liked it. I mean, this basically what I'm doing on this is sort of a market test. I've actually given everybody for free the absolute complete breakdown on everything to do with this new technology for milling free gravity feed gold. Let's say you own a junior mining company and you're neutral on David Morgan. You could actually get this report for free and give it to your favorite junior miner that has gravity feed gold and they might be able to run with it. In other words, make some money for their shareholders and fund their company and move it forward without having to dilute the shareholders. And I'm giving them absolutely everything that we've learned after following this company for more than two years, except the name of the company and the symbol. So it's like test driving the automobile of your choice and, you know, getting everything you want. And, you know, the only thing you haven't done is, you know, sign the contract. If you like it and you wanted to speculate, and this is a speculation, so again, heed my warning, you bet a little to win a lot, you could subscribe at this low price that we're running till the 1st of February and get the name of it and invest. And if you don't like it, then you're not going to go any further. So it's sort of like giving them absolutely everything you need to make a decision. Do I want it or don't I want it? In the meantime, you've learned a great deal about what I think could be a game changer in the junior mining space. This could be the situation that we've all been looking for, for a catalyst that starts to put some positive thinking into the junior mining space. This could be something that the market's been actually looking for for quite some time. Is it? I don't know. The market knows more than all of us, but it's something that's pretty exciting. And we have several videos that we're going to put out for our membership that shows the process. It shows one of these, well, I say, very interesting personalities that I'm friends with and his take on it. Something, again, that I think might just be that little shot in the arm we need in 2016 to finally get this market off rock bottom and start to move up to the upside. Now, you just came back from Stockholm, Sweden, of all places in the winter. What were you doing there, David? We have decided to put together another company, and this will be a royalty company or what's more commonly known, I guess, as a uh, streaming company. There's a slight difference between a royalty. It's usually, a royalty company is usually a net smelter royalty. You can look at the term on Google if you're not familiar with it versus a streaming company like Silver Wheaton. And we're more favorable to the companies that we do deals with. So we need some, you know, seed capital, some investment money. We're able to raise that in Stockholm. And so if you're interested in something like that, I just want to be very brief here and just direct you to the website. It is LemuriaRoyalties.com. Lemuria is L-E-M. 
URIAroyalties.com and you can get term sheet, take a look. It's nothing new. It's not anything unique other than what the approach is, meaning that I think it's more of a win-win for the company that accepts money for a gold or silver stream as an example that more favorable to both sides or maybe more favorable to the company side because what we've done differently is that when the price of gold and silver go up, these companies aren't penalized from the aspect that they got a fixed cost of like 475 an ounce silver that as silver goes from let's say 15 to 45 they're only receiving 475 per ounce they could receive a percentage basis the spot price for as an example if you gave them 30 percent of the spot price at 15 dollars silver that'd be five but when it's 45 and you get 15 percent of the spot price you would get a far higher return so i think that's more likable to the companies and that's kind of the approach we're taking again more spelled out in the term sheet you can you know sign up no obligation obviously it's just an information situation. I received an email from you, as I do often because I'm a subscriber to the Morgan Report. You're doing a solutions conference in Las Vegas, starting out a busy year for you. What is the Solutions Conference. Tell me and tell your listeners what we have to look forward to. Well, thank you again. Uh, give the URL because it's the best way. It's called solutionsconference.us. And I'm well, getting a bit tired, I would say, about dwelling on the problem for all these years. I mean, the monetary problem is certainly significant. The bankers, at whatever level you understand it, are certainly a big part of the problem. But that's not all the problem. There's corruption. That's the main theme, I would say. You know, you've got corrupt food supply. You've got corrupt air supply, you've got corrupt water, you've got corrupt politicians, you've got corrupt monetary system, you've got corruption across the board. So the Solutions Conference is something I've been thinking about for quite some time, and then I wanted to come up with, you know, absolutely the best, most powerful, most giving conference that I could possibly imagine. And that came from Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart, who wrote the book Prosper that's just recently been published. And they talk about the eight forms of capital. I've been focusing primarily on a financial form of capital, but there's living capital, material, knowledge, emotional, social, cultural, and time capital. Adam and Chris will be the keynote speakers. I will be speaking slightly on the financial side, but I'm going to touch on in my personal life on the material side, the knowledge side, the emotional side, the cultural side, and the living side, because I've done a lot on all those. And I'm just going to share with the live audience my views on those other forms of capital and what the solutions are, because money alone isn't the solution. If you think that the right amount of silver or gold coins or whatever is the right solution, you're not thinking very much. So it's very much uh, something that's been kind of heavy on my heart. I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. So this is my attempt in early 2016 to sponsor this first conference, win, lose, or draw, and see what the uh, marketplace determines, whether or not it's worthwhile or not, and then make the determination move on or not. So one positive highlight for 2016, prognosticate a little bit, tease something that might be nice for us this year. Self-responsibility. I think you're going to see a lot more people to wake up and say, you know, I'm not dependent on government. I'm not dependent on XYZ Corporation. I'm not dependent on this. I'm dependent on me. And I need, not in a selfish way, but in a, a conscious way, in a holistic way, in a realistic, mature adult attitude kind of a way. I used to say, and I still do occasionally, that you know you're an adult when you realize that the cavalry isn't coming to the rescue. You are responsible for your decisions. 
most things in life are based on what choices we make. So make the right choices. You know, if there's a bad GMO food supply out there and you learn enough or you're educated enough to convince yourself and that that's not the healthiest way to eat, then take the responsibility seek out other sources of food. As a quick example, I don't want to run anyone's life. I certainly love the intellectual challenge of being a human being. I think it's fascinating. I think we're fascinating creatures, and I love to learn. And I don't have all the answers. I've never claimed to, but I certainly have a very inquisitive and critical thinking modality, something that you know I've learned not only as a kid, but you know through engineering school. You basically taught a lot of critical thinking, whether it's uh, designing the curriculum or not, because it either has to be true or false. There's absolutes in the universe. Certainly there's gray areas, but there's a lot of absolutes. Uh, you can't just wish, you know, that your truth is that the moon's going to be at this position at such and such a time, and you'd be able to get there. I mean, the only way you're going to get there is if you actually know exactly where it's going to be. So there are absolutes. So anyway, back on point, Alice, I think it's going to be a better year for each individual because they're willing to step up to the plate and get that aha moment. Yeah, you know, I'm going to take more responsibility for myself than I have in the past. As far as what the overall markets are going to do, et cetera, et cetera, I'm looking for a decline in the stock market and a rebound in the precious metals market. So I'm looking for that shift to take place. Not in a huge way. I don't see any huge uh, increases in precious metals prices this year. And I don't see any real huge decline in the stock market. But I think the shift will take place where we're back to where we're buying things that we need more than uh, things that we want, meaning the paper markets will be coming down and the real things will be going up. Although I am pretty bearish on the overall commodity sector, I think that the only thing that's really going to be moving to the top will be the top tier of the commodity sector, which is money, which is the precious metals. I could be wrong on that. But with what we talked about, the oil markets, the Baltic dry index is very low on almost every one of these shows, and it's true. So I think we've got a big turnaround coming in 2016. But again, I think coming back to your own self, to their own self be true, that the Oracle of Delphi over the top <laughs> walking in was a very important statement and something that should be taken to heart in 2016. I've been speaking with the silver guru, David Morgan. His website is themorganreport.com. Listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.